So we're in Acts. I'm in Acts. You know, I was thinking about this this morning. This is the first Sunday that I'll have preached since we merged. It just the timing just, I don't even remember. We had a, a guest speaker. We had, I think I had to work one Sunday. And then there was the, the October Reformation Day. And anyway, I think the last time I actually preached was before we merged, which was in, I don't even remember when that was, June or something like that. So, so I'm excited to be back in Acts. But I just want to kind of give you a reminder of where we're at, especially for those that, that came over from Stratford. Um, Acts is a history book, right? Acts of the Apostles. Um, and, and it is. It's a, it's a history book. And you can consider it the uh, church history book, right? Dealing with, in part, the formation and growth of, of the early church. So just to kind of, you know... Uh, 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 get a, a framework of, of where we're at or where we're going. Uh, I do want to read, and we're, we're starting in Acts 3 today, so I've preached up through this point. But I'm going to read Acts 1-8 to you. Uh, Acts 1-8 is really, I guess it's the theme verse and, and even in, uh, outline of, of the, entire, the entire book. Um, Acts 1-8, and this is Jesus uh, speaking here. He says, but... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And so the, the book actually follows this, this format, okay? In Acts chapter, uh, uh, well, really in Acts chapter 1, they're in Jerusalem, right? And so Acts starts in Jerusalem, and as the, as the book progresses, we see them in Jerusalem, moving into Judea, Samaria, and it ends up, in Rome, right, which, which to them was, I mean, Rome was the world. Rome represented the, in this case, the remotest part of the earth. If the gospel got to Rome, then the gospel would, would go forward to the entire, entire earth, right? And so Acts 1.8, again, is, is, is the theme verse, as well as gives us this, this general outline of the entire, the entire book as we see the gospel start in Jerusalem and spread through these other regions, make it to Rome, into the entire world. And so starting in chapter 3, right, we really see this first part, the gospel being proclaimed and preached in Jerusalem. And, and we have that in uh, 3.1 all the way up to roughly verse 8.3, uh, or chapter 8, sorry, verse 3. And so just to give you an idea, I'm starting in, in 3.1 this morning. And so we'll be dealing with what's going on, the gospel being proclaimed and spread in Jerusalem all the way up to, to, to approximately... Um, chapter 8. So that's kind of where, that's kind of Acts in a nutshell, and that's kind of where we're at today, or what we're beginning today, and where I am. And so I'm going to go ahead and just read um, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through um, one through 11. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, and a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg for alms of those who were entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. 
And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with one <coughs> sorry. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Now it starts out and it says that Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour of prayer. This was around three o'clock um, in the afternoon. There were actually three three hours of, of prayer. There was nine AM, there was noon, and there was uh, three PM. Now this this time would have had the greatest amount of, of people there maximum, if you will, exposure at this point. And it says that outside, um, outside of the gate called Beautiful, or that which was known as the Beautiful Gate, was a, was a man who was, was crippled um, from birth. He would have been 40 years old or, or older. And said that he was crippled from birth. I, I think about this for a minute. Um, couldn't walk. Has, has never walked. I mean, imagine, imagine what he looked like. We, we've seen people like this, haven't we? Um, legs all skinny, muscles all atrophied, maybe even crooked, you know. I mean, I've seen, seen people you know, in the wheelchairs or on the beggars that we've seen, right? And, and maybe the legs are crossed and they're just, just pathetic, right? I mean, that was, that was this man. Now, he might have been wearing a robe or whatever, tunic or whatever they wore, right? But, but nonetheless, we can imagine his... His state. Imagine his overall physical state. I mean, think of the the, the people that we have encountered in, in our life that that are like this. Not just crippled, but those who are um, impoverished that are that are crippled. Those that we've seen, like I said, on 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 the street. They don't look they don't look the best, do they? No, wearing probably dirty clothes, right? Poor hygiene. I imagine that they stink. Um, pretty bad, right? That was that was this that was this guy, right? And he's sitting outside this this gate. Um, he's sitting outside because he was in fact considered unworthy unworthy to worship, right? Um, couldn't enter the temple beyond this point. Leviticus twenty one seventeen. God gives instruction saying that um, when it comes to the, the Levites, right, those who would or could be Levitical priests, God says that those who are lame and those who are crippled, um, they, can't, they can't be priests. They can't, enter, they can't enter into the temple. And then in, in 2 Samuel, David kind of takes that, something going on with the Jebusites, I think, and accusations they had made to him. But, but nonetheless, David, David takes that command that God originally gives to the to the Levites and says, if you're crippled, you can't enter into the temple. You can't be priests. God, ta- uh, David takes that in Second Samuel and says, if you're crippled and you're lame, right, you can't enter into the temple. And he applies that. He applies that to everyone. So the man sitting outside the temple, crippled, right, incapable of worshiping God. The other thing we assume from this, this text is that the man wasn't, um, he wasn't a believer, and there's nothing in the text up up to this point anyway. He wasn't a believer. And there's nothing in the text that um, would indicate that he's a, a believer. Uh, I, I imagine that if if he was, he would have been addressed maybe differently than just a man sitting outside the temple, who was who was crippled from birth. Right. The other thing that we see through Acts, which is which is kind of interesting, when it comes to miraculous healings and dealing with sign gifts like this one of, of a miraculous healing, 
is uh, those, those healings were, were applied towards unbelievers. So when that sign or that gift or that miracle was done, um, at least in Acts we see it, it was uh, with unbelievers as well. So, so here we have this crippled man sitting outside the beautiful gate, right, uh, uh, in a pathetic um, state, incapable of worshiping God in the sense of entering into the temple, right, and in fact um, lost. He is not a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, his position right outside this, this gate was, was really strategic, okay? He was placed between the court of Gentiles and the court of women, right? And so he has, he has these people going in to the temple, right, to fulfill their ritualistic duties, right, including giving, right, this desire to, to gain favor and impress God by, by showing their good deeds. I mean, we think about that in our society. I mean, if I was going to beg for money, I wouldn't go do it outside the Social Security office, right? Uh, but that would be pretty stupid, wouldn't, wouldn't it be, right? No, you want to be strategically placed. It's like the, the Salvation Army folks. Where do they go? They go to Walmart, right? They, they go to the stores because people, it's Christmas. People are in the, the spending mood and the giving mood, right? And so they strategically place themselves, right? Um, go up to Oklahoma City, stop sign, bridges, underpasses, right? Strategically placed for maximum, ex- maximum exposure and, and maximum effect. And so this guy knew, hey, if I sit outside the beautiful gate, this is, this is the farthest I can go in anyway. These people are coming to, to fulfill their duty. They want to impress God. I was thinking about what Ronnie was, was talking about last week. Um, if you weren't here Wednesday... Your loss, um, it was a great lesson. It, it really was. It was convicting. It was powerful. Um, it was encouraging. Ronnie uh, had in part talked about Romans, um, Romans, sorry, Isaiah 58. And he was talking about Israel who, you know, are trying to fast and these people trying to impress God with their fast and cry out to God to, to have mercy on them and, and whatnot. And yet at the same time, right, they, they treat their, their people badly don't they? So on one hand, they're trying to look good for God and impress him. And on the other hand, they're over here just, just living like the world. And, but that's what that guy, this guy was doing. He was sitting outside the gate trying to get these people that were wanting to impress God, um, wanting to impress God by giving him money. Right? He, was looking for, um, he was looking for physical comfort. That's what he needed. That's what he wanted. Um, in his mind, his greatest need was 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 money so he could, you know, provide for himself in whatever way that he he needed to provide for. You know, I was thinking about that. Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I don't know the man. We don't know who he was. We don't know his name. I don't know what he thought his greatest need was. I suspect it was just that. I need to take care of myself, right? And so I need, I need money from people to take care of myself. And I was thinking how often... Um, when we as, as believers, how often we think of needs, we really just go straight to physical things, don't we? Um, someone's sick, right? Um, and so our, our immediate need is just to pray, or our immediate reaction, sorry, is to pray for their physical well-being. God, he's sick, so I pray that you would heal him. Not that we shouldn't, we shouldn't do that, right? Or someone loses a job or something financially catastrophic happens in their lives and we... we we just we jump right in and we're praying for that physical need, and it, and it seems to me so often that we ignore the greater needs, which are spiritual needs, right? And they are. I mean, 
whatever physical needs you have in your life, whatever physical needs you might have in in your life, um, especially as an unbeliever, pale in comparison to the spiritual needs of your life. Um, an unbeliever, right? We, we, someone that I knew here recently, or I knew this person's spouse, and this fellow had just passed away, but he was in the hospital. They thought he was going to die. You know, pray for his healing. Um, and as I was praying for him and his wife that was about to probably be left, I thought, you know, we pray for God to do a miracle in his life to to heal him physically. But I thought, I've never prayed for this guy. I, mean, I didn't know him personally. Regardless, I knew who he was. But I've never prayed for his greater need, which was for his salvation prior to this. And so it's like we jump in and just focus on the physical, which is so not important compared to the spiritual needs, right? And that's the same thing even for believers, right? Oh, so we're saved, so we're taken care of. But the reality is even as believers, our spiritual needs are far greater than any of our physical needs could could ever be. And so we've got this guy sitting outside the gate, and, and again, in his mind, dude, his physical comfort is the greatest need of his life. He was expecting money. What he wasn't expecting was to be engaged by Peter and John like, like he was. This is in verse 4, but Peter along with John fixed his gaze on him, and he said, look at us. He got the man's attention. Now, I was thinking about that in regards to, to, to us, right? Ronnie, you said it on Wednesday, flipping through TV, right? And you see the starving Ethiopian kid, and what do you do? You flip faster, don't you, right? How many of us do that when we see someone? It's like, oh, they got the stop sign again. Like, go, 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 green, 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 green. Yeah, I do that, you know. Like, I don't want to get stopped because then they're going to stand right by the window, and I'm going to be forced to look at them. That's, you know, John, Peter. He says, look at us. He engages the man. Now, this guy thought, hey, this is payday, right? They, they want my attention. I obviously got theirs, and I'm going to get something. It says that in verse 5. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Big money, right? In verse 6, Peter says, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene walk. Now what we have here, right, is we we see, I guess, the use of one of the the temporary um, sign gifts, right? Speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, miracles, healings, right? Temporary sign gifts that we see in Acts. In this case, it was healing. And in the early church, these sign gifts were used as God's confirmation of the message and the messengers. It was in part his way um, of helping to establish the church. And especially among the Jews, 1 Corinthians um, 1, verses 22 through 25 and this isn't God just simply pandering to the Jews and giving them what they want. But in 1, um, 22, it says, um, For indeed Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, 
Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Initially, God used these sign gifts, if you will, to get the attention specifically of the Jews that God would confirm, right, establish authority of the message that was about to be proclaimed or that was being proclaimed, as well as the messengers who were proclaiming it. Now, this was not normative and has never been normative, even even with um, this this period, right? The, the formation, if you will, of the early church and the sign gifts, right? It still wasn't normative in that period. That's where we see it in operation, but not normative. It's never been normative, right? In fact, as we go through Acts, what we see is we see these, these miracles, these healings, these tongues and stuff like that. We actually see it trail off in Acts as it progresses through Jerusalem, Judea, Sumeria, to Rome. We see it just slowly disappear. Now, this doesn't mean um, that God still doesn't do miraculous things, right? doesn't mean that God doesn't heal in miraculous ways, even like this, right? doesn't mean that um, other miracles aren't, don't, don't, don't occur. It doesn't mean that, that tongues, as in foreign languages, spoken by people who don't know those languages, doesn't, doesn't happen, okay? What it means is if it does happen, those things do occur. They're not a result of some sort of sign gift. It's just a, a, a miracle performed basically by God. Does that make sense? Right. So sign gifts, right? And then we can separate that to when stuff like that happens nowadays, which is definitely not normative, not a result of sign gifts. It's just a result of God being God and doing what God will, will do. But in this case, it was a, a, a sign gift, and it was that of healing. Um, Peter said, which was so appropriate, he said, I don't have gold and silver. That's what this man wanted, right? I mean, that's what he was in search of. He's outside this massive bronze, ornate gate. And he says, um, I don't have any silver and I don't have any gold. I wonder what was going through that man's mind at this point. You know, great. Crackpot, what's he going to give me? You know, leftover bread? I don't know, right? Peter said, but what I do have, I give to you. What Peter possessed was infinitely more valuable than what this man sought. And it wasn't healing. All right? It wasn't healing. When Peter said, what I have I give to you, it wasn't the healing that was about to occur, but it was Christ. Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Here's the other thing. We think about this in the operation of of what occurred here, as well as these miracles and sign gifts or whatever they might be, Peter did not heal this man. Peter didn't heal him. When Paul raised the fellow that fell out of the window from the dead, Paul actually didn't raise him from the dead. Right? Christ did that, and he did that through him. Peter was simply the tool or the instrument used to bring about the, 
the healing. Now I was thinking about that in a way that we can probably relate. And I, I know there's some people in the church that, that build things, um, carpentry and, and woodworking and stuff like that, right? Uh, uh, Randy and his, his artist type screen printing t-shirts and stuff. I mean, you wouldn't say to Randy, man, that's a beautiful t-shirt. Would you, would you thank your press when you get home? Just let your press know that I'm just really impressed with with how it turned out. I mean, that really worked out good. And you wouldn't say to Dustin, wow, that's a beautiful deck. Those nails did a wonderful job. I just want to make sure you let them know that, that they did good work. And the hammer, I mean, wow. I mean, that hammer put them right where they needed to. You just let them know that they didn't know. Peter was a tool just like that hammer, just like that press, right? It was God who healed that man. And Peter made it evident that it was God who healed that man. It wasn't some like incantation that Peter was simply using when he said, in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. So if I say it just like that, then, then it'll happen. Like the fellow that tried to cast out the demons, right? And the demons are like, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but we don't know you, right? That's because he was trying to cast out the demons. It wasn't Christ doing it through him. So Peter didn't heal this man. Christ healed this man. And his healing, I mean, think about it. Think about his state. Again, let's go back to, to, I mean, this crippled legs, all puny and shriveled and crossed and and just messed up, right? Guys never walk. Some of us in here have babies, right? And we're trying to teach them how to walk. I mean, not Silas is a little too small, but other ones. And I mean, it takes a while to learn how to walk, doesn't it? It's not like, all right, muscles are strong. They got it. No, there's this, this, this whole balance issue and there's there's coordination issues. We know people that have been injured in like catastrophic accidents. And it's like, oh, they'll be able to walk again, but it might take years for them to regain the strength and to regain balance and coordination and, and to work through the pain and, and actually be able to, to do it again, right? But here in verse 7, it says, Peter, in, in seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. Now, the reason Peter raised him up was this guy had never walked before. And just because Peter says walk doesn't mean the guy instantly thinks he can just jump up and walk. So Peter's getting the process started here. He's, he, he grabs the guy by his hand and pulls him up so the guy knows that, wait a minute, something's different about me. He says raising him by the right hand, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. So in my mind, I'm trying to, I'm trying to visualize. I'm trying to visualize this. I mean puny legs, crooked and crossed, right? Never, never having strength to stand, let alone walk. moment that Christ heals him, those, those legs are strengthened and they're straightened. And the man has balance and he has, he has coordination. He can, he can walk as if he's been walking his entire life. It says, with a leap. I mean, think about this. I just, it blows my mind. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. I mean, I, I think of these TV preacher guys that are trying to do these healings and stuff like that. I'm like, show me this. You show me the cripple with the teeny legs that are all crooked and crossed. You heal him and let's see him do, 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 do this. This man was healed and it was immediate. And it was complete. What did he do? Immediately he what? He entered the temple with them, walking 
and leaping, praising God. So his healing was powerful. It was through Christ. It was immediate and it was complete. And it was to the glory of God. In fact, twice in this passage does it say that the man was glorifying God. God God healed this man, okay? Um, First and foremost for his own glory, that God's name might be praised, that Christ might receive all the honor and all the glory and all the worship as a result. Why did God heal this man? I mean, he wasn't the only beggar, I can promise you, that was there this morning. Um, why did God heal him and, and not the others? For his own praise and for his own glory. Now, here's the other thing. I said that what Peter had to give this man wasn't, um, it wasn't healing. What I have I give to you, it wasn't, it wasn't that. But it was Christ. I believe not only was this man physically healed that day, more importantly, he was spiritually healed that day. I believe that God saved this, this man. I think the evidence for that we see in Acts chapter 4. And we'll look more, and I'm going to read 4, 18 through 14, and we'll actually look into that in, in several months or whenever I get to that. But in 8 through 14, it's, it's the next day. Um, and Peter and John are being questioned by the rulers for what they're doing. Peter preaches a sermon between this time. We'll look at that next month. But it says in verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we were on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here um, before you in good health. So he's healed. He enters the temple with them. Peter preaches this sermon, right, which that's next month. Peter preaches this sermon. The man's with them. And then the next day, Peter and John are on trial, and the man is still with them. And then as Peter continues to talk, he says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, God raised him from the dead. By this name, the man stands before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which came the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So he's talking about physically healing this man, and the next thing he's talking about, salvation. There's no doubt in my mind that at, that at some point, I don't know if it was when Peter grabbed him by the hand, I don't know when God regenerated him, I don't know how all that worked out, we can ask him in heaven, but I truly believe that that day this man experienced both the physical healing, but more importantly the spiritual healing God saved him. And then in verse 9 through 11, it says, All the people saw him walking and praising God. Again, there he is, praising God again. They were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Um, God used this sign, Right? And this man's healing in part to gather a crowd and establish the authority of Peter and John and the message that they were about to preach. We're going to look at that. That's in uh, 312 through 26. And so we'll, we'll jump into that next time, right? And so what I've done is I've gone through. This is, this is a real hard, let me say this in one, one sense. Um, it's, a, it's a historical narrative. And narratives can, can sometimes be hard to preach. 
You know, there's not explicit uh, commands given in here. There's not like in-depth theology or anything like that that we have in, in these, these 11 verses. It's, it's a story, right? And I'm going to get to application here in a minute, but it's a story, and it can be hard, hard to, to preach at times. But I hope just going through and, and talking about it has kind of at least given you a picture in your mind of, of what had happened, where they were, what God was doing, and, and why God was, was doing what, what he was doing. When we come to an end of a text like that, I think to myself, okay, so what do I do with that? Right? Um, not, not to make it necessarily all about us, because um, it's not, but what, what do we do with that? How do we apply that? Right? This is, it's, a, it's heartwarming. Right? Oh, it's great. God healed this guy that didn't deserve to be healed. And he, he healed him in a miraculous way and got people's attention. And Peter got to preach the gospel as a result. That's, that's great. But that, what does that have to do? What does that have to do with, with me? What is that, how, how, do we, how do we use this? What do we, what do we do with it? So here's the thing, which is what I think is important. Um, one, it's the lame beggar. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, then you are the lame man sitting outside the temple, incapable of worshiping God. But we bring to you today what Peter brought to that man, and that's Christ. That if you will repent and believe, and turn from your sin and turning from your sin, turn to Christ and to Christ alone, you will be healed, spiritually speaking, just as that man was healed that day. Well, what about those of us who are believers? Right? Okay, well, I'm not, I'm not him. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, right? Then you were him, right? At one point in our lives, we were all that lame beggar sitting outside the temple, incapable of worshiping God. And being saved, God did for you what he did for that man. But when I think about that, when I, and, and, and here I'm probably just preaching primarily to myself, but when I think about that, I can't help but ask, where's the jumping and the shouting and the praising, the praising God for what, what he's done? I mean, do, do we give, do I give public testimony like he was? I mean, do we, do we as believers give public testimony like, like him? Um, you know, I, it's easy to say, well, he was outside the temple. I mean, it was the temple. It's easy to give testimony in, in the temple. Well, first of all, let me say this. The, the temple's not the church. This man was in a hostile environment. Right? I mean, they were, Peter and John, and we see that in the sermon, I mean, they were among those who were just crying out a month and a half earlier to crucify Christ, right? So this man jumping and shouting and praising God is not the same as what we would do here within the context of the church. But the reality is most of us don't even do that here. Someone says, hey, brother, will you give your testimony? I don't know in front of all those believers. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I'm not really comfortable telling people about what God's done for me and in my life and through my life, right? I mean, we struggle with it here, let alone out there in the world, which is really where Peter and John were and really where this lame man was. I mean, the temple was the center of, 
of, of religious society as well as, as cultural society. I mean, it was the going back to the text that Ronnie read, those people that were false fasting, right? They were among them, right? And he's jumping and he's shouting and he's praising God. And here's the other thing. He didn't have to be encouraged. Now, brother, God did an amazing thing in your life. And so what you need to do is you need to go in there and you need to, you need to get excited about Jesus, okay, and, and tell other people what, what he did for you. The man just, he just did it. It was like his natural reaction was to tell others about what had happened. To, to praise God, and he didn't care where he was, and he didn't care who was among him or around him. So what's our problem? I mean, why, what's my problem? I mean, why do I have to be so encouraged to do something like that, to be, to be prompted, to be instructed, to be, to be commanded? And if it was natural for him to do that, why, why isn't it? Why isn't it for me? Why isn't it? Why isn't it for us? I mean, listen. If we're not doing it, we should be prompted to do it. Okay, we should be. We should be encouraged. We should be commanded um, and, and corrected, and all of those things. But why? I mean, why? Why do we have to be? Why? Why isn't it for us like it was for him? Where? at any opportunity that we can tell others of, of what God has done for us that we, we don't. And I, I'm not trying to beat us up, and I realize sometimes we take those opportunities that God gives us, but at least in my life, I can, I can tell you that um, I much more often fail to take that opportunity than take that opportunity. For probably ever one time I take that opportunity to tell others what God has done for me, there's probably ten times, I'm just making those numbers up, but probably ten times that I'm like, I'm just going to go over there and not deal with it today. I'm tired. Or whatever the excuse is or whatever the case is. Um, I was thinking about it in, in relation to him and the shriveled up legs in the hall and then all of a sudden he's, he's strong and he can jump and he can run and he can do all this stuff. Um, do you think he ever stopped like telling others his, his story, like what had happened to him? I mean, I was thinking of if something incredible happened to us in our lives, like, I mean, if, if um, someone did something incredible or amazing for you, you, know, you had a relative that, that gave you a million dollars. I don't know. I mean, just pick it. You can think of some physical thing that would, you would just find absolutely incredible. Someone came up and said, brother, here's your mortgage. I paid off your house for you. You couldn't stop telling other people about what, Uncle Johnny did for you, or whoever did whatever. I mean, you would just tell everybody that this guy, he gave me a car, knew I needed a car, gave me a car, gave me the title, said it's, 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 it's yours. I mean, it's no strings, it's yours. I mean, you, you wouldn't stop telling people about what this, this person did for you. And I'm thinking about it in relationship to this guy. I mean, he probably never stopped telling people what God did for him, but I don't think it was the physical part. I think once this man realized what God did for him in saving him, right, he probably continued to sing God's praises as he did on that day that he was healed. And again, so I think, what's our, what's our, what's our problem? 
well, I mean, the God of the universe. We celebrate Jesus coming down and taking on flesh, right? Becoming a man and living this perfect life that we could never live and dying the death that we deserve, but we could never die because his death satisfied God's wrath and our death could never satisfy God's wrath. And God saved us. We were spiritually dead and he gave us life. And we just keep it to ourselves. I mean, for the most part, right? Which is probably true. I mean, if most of us were to be honest with ourselves, you know, I was thinking uh, this little Light of Mine song, and I'm like, hide it under a bushel. No, and I'm like, I don't think that's the case. I mean, they were like, like yeah, I'm going to hide it under a bushel, right? Because I think that's what most of us many times do. And again, I, I'm not saying that that's all we do, but I think if we were to be honest more times than not, we'd probably, you know, hide it under a bushel. Then I don't know what he's going to say or he's going to think about that. I probably shouldn't do it. And, you know, I don't know. It might come back negatively on me if, if I you know, tell him about Jesus because then I won't get that job or they'll cancel their contract or I'll get written up or, or you know, whatever the case might be. So that was the lame beggar, right? And I think we should see ourselves in him or as him or once was him. The other thing is this. So we are commanded to go ye just as, as Peter and John were commanded. Mark sixteen fifteen. It's a great commission. We've, we've heard it. You've heard it countless times. Um, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. They were, they were being obedient to that. I don't know. We don't know what their, what their plan was for that day. They were going to the temple. Part of it might have just been because that's what you do, right? That's what we normally do is we go to the temple, and so let's go to the temple today. Maybe we can go talk to some people about Jesus, you know. Maybe we'll have some opportunities to to minister. Uh, I don't know. Again, I don't know what they were doing, but what I know is that they were obedient in proclaiming the gospel. And we know that because that's, in fact, what happened. They took advantage of the opportunity that God had given them to preach, to reach the lost with the good news of Jesus Christ. And again, the reality is, is, is we have what, what they have. When Peter said, what I have, I give to you. Again, it wasn't healing. It was, it was Christ. And we have what Peter has. So again, I think, what's our problem? Why aren't we out there, in part, doing doing what what they're doing? I mean, we are, and I, and I hear stories all the time, and it encourages me when when stories get back to, hey, did you hear so and so, you know, from the church who was out working this job and he got to share the gospel with these people and he got to share the gospel with those people and and this and that. And well, I think of it in the context of this 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 beggar first of all. I, you know, I can't think of how many times that I've walked by someone like that on the street. And Ronnie, I'm, I'm picking on you today. It was, it was really a great lesson on Wednesday. And I don't say that to toot your horn, right? That God was, was, was using you. were just the tool. Okay, that's it. God was using you to, to convict and encourage. He started in James, and he's talking about pure religion or true religion, right? Taking care of the widows and the orphans, right? Those who one couldn't do for themselves and those who had nothing to give back into return, right? And then he tied that into to Isaiah 58 and talking about the hypocrisy in Israel, the hypocrisy in the church that on one stance, you know, one, one hand wants to please God and look like we have it all together and we're religious and on the other hand doesn't, 
right? And I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking about that in relation to the lame beggar. I think about how many times I've passed that lame guy in whatever form or fashion on the street. And I thought to myself, man, that guy's pathetic. He needs Jesus. Flip him a quarter without really making eye contact and keep, keep walking, right? Because that's what we do, right? Maybe that's what I do sometimes. Maybe I'm the only one, okay? But that's it. Or, or we don't even want to make, or we're like, man, that guy's a mess. He needs Jesus, and we don't, I'm not, but I'm not going to give him my money because I worked hard for it. So then I'm, I'm going to keep walking. Or we thought, that guy's a mess. Man, we don't want him to come to our church because we'd have to deal with the messiness in his life and, and the filth and the garbage. And, and we just, that's just, again, I think about Peter and John. What I, have, what I have done, what he did, he engaged him, and he looked at him, and he said, look at me, Right? said, I don't have what you want. I got something that's infinitely more valuable. And it's Christ. Peter just didn't leave him there. I'd like to know how long he followed him for. And we'd ask him someday. Because he went in the temple with him. He was there the next day when they were on trial. Right? So it wasn't like they just threw him a quarter and went their own way. No. They let him walk with him. I suspect listen and learn discipled him or sent him to someone that could disciple him. So that's what I do with this text. I'm thinking about, you know, for the last several weeks as Ronnie and Randy have been going through stuff about the church and we've been talking about how we as a church need to be, um, we need to be all in. I'm not sure if that's the words you used on Wednesday, but I mean, we need to be sold out and we need to be, we need to be all in. And I, I, I want that for us. But here's the thing. We as a church will, will never will never be all in if we're not all in as individuals. Right? If we as a church want to be sold out, we want to be all in. We don't want to be hypocrites, right? We, we've got to, as individuals, right, be sold out and to be all in. I can't do that apart from Christ actively working daily in my life to do that in me and through me. You can't, you can't do that. You can't do that either. So I'm not making an appeal to you to pull up your bootstraps, find the strength within you and within us so that we can do that. My appeal is to seek Christ and that we as a church and as individuals would ask him to do this work in us and, and through us, right? that we would be sold out, that we would be all in, that we would care for the widows and the orphans, and those who can't, those who have nothing to give in return. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to do that in us and through us. Okay. Jesus, we thank you for your word to us. God, and I thank you for Acts and, and this, this narrative, this, this story, God. Um, because it is important and you do have something to say to us in it and and through it lord i um one i i want to be i want to respond like like this lame man jumping and shouting and praising you for what you've done in my life and i want us as a church lord to do that we 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 don't not like we should and I'm grateful for the times that we do, but we need to we need to excel at that. We need to grow 
in that. I want that to be the story of our lives. That people would be like, oh, you go to Sovereign Grace? Aren't those crazy Jesus people down there that just are constantly telling people about you? Well, that's what I that's what I want for me. That's what I want for us as again individuals and, and as a as a as a body. Lord, I want us to be Peter and John's and, and, and how they one were just simply obedient to go and to proclaim the gospel to all who would hear. But even in how they, they ministered to this guy, and it wasn't just like this in a physical way of, of you know, making sure he was physically comforted. But they brought the gospel to him. They brought him Christ. They didn't care what he looked like. Didn't care what he could do, couldn't do. Didn't care what he smelt like. They just simply knew that he needed, he needed you. And they were faithful to that end. And I, I want that for us as well, Lord. Individually, that way we can, we can have that, that corporately. But I know it's a struggle. It's a struggle in my life, Father. It's a struggle in our lives. Uh, our, our, our self, our sin, all too often just gets in the way. Um, and we allow it to prevent us from doing, doing what we ought. And so I pray, God, that you would just work to, to one, convict us. I know your word says that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness, Lord. So, God, I pray that you would convict us to the end, that we would confess our sin of disobedience and pride and whatever else it is that keeps us from telling others about you, that keeps us from serving in the, the ways that we the ways that we should we should serve you, Lord. And that you would purify us from that, God. And that you would you would make us into individuals that are that are sold out, that are all in. That you would make us then into a church that is sold out and that is all in for the cause of Christ. Jesus, we love you and again we praise you and we thank you for what you've done and we thank you for what you will do, confident that you will do it. It's in your name that we pray.